0: Because of that one scene, my first spring training back, I've got all these scouts waiting on me. you know, I walk out the door of the locker room and they're like, do you know how many people think they
1: can pitch now? Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. It's Mikey from the Goonies, an actress in charge of my money. It certainly certainly want a plan for us to raise college and pro football players. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have former teacher, major leaguer, and the inspiration for the Disney movie, The Rookie, Jim Morris, as he shares what it's like trying out for the majors as a 35-year-old, the bet that changed his life, and the importance of keeping a promise. So what is fascinating to me about Jim Morris is on the surface of it, he's not fascinating. He's like a regular guy, just like anyone listening to this is, you know, somebody approaching middle age, you've already picked what you're going to do for your life. And it's not be, a major leaguer and he just wakes up one day with like the superpower he can throw the ball as fast as anyone on earth and it's it's fascinating how he changes from what he's become which is a, a pretty important thing he is this coach this mentor to these kids that uh, are growing up in an area where their parents their teachers don't have a whole lot of hope for them and he starts giving them hope by you know inspiring them and telling them they can be more than they, that they ever thought they could be. But then they flipped the tables on him, and as the story goes, they bet him. They made a huge bet with him. And so I asked Jim, I said, so Jim, is this whole story of yours based on a bet?
0: Absolutely. You know, at 28, I had a surgery in which the doctor said you'll never, ever pitch again. Physically impossible. I took 85% of the muscle out of your arm. I go back to college. I lead the football team. I leave the country in punting and kicking. And so baseball's done. My minor league career's over. I go back to college, get my degree, start teaching and coaching, end up in Big Lake, Texas, where the movie takes place. And just from there, I inherited a group of kids who basically grew up the way I did. They were put down, talked down, cussed down, hit down their whole lives. They're not even going to graduate from high school. They're going to work in the oil fields and gas fields like their dads and their granddads did because there's nothing you or anybody else can do about it. You're just not very smart and so I grew up with a father who was physically and verbally abusive, and so I just figured I was kind of the perfect person to be in that position at that time, and I inherited these kids, and I knew from my long career of sports and abusive parents, you can't yell at somebody and expect them to listen. If you talk to them on the same level that they're on, and you get down to where they are, they know they they will respect you, they will love you, and they will break their back trying to please you, and so we had a great deal of communication, good communication going on, and basically the first year there we learned a whole lot about life and not much about baseball, and so we learned how to wear our uniforms correctly and turn our hats around and respect the umpires, the other team, open doors for teachers, yes ma'am, no ma'am, do our homework, all that stuff that goes along with being a good human being. Baseball is a game, and in that there are a lot of lessons you can learn, but life is life. And if you learn how to take care of life and other people, they will come back and take care of you. And so my eight kids turned into ten kids that first year, which turned into 63 the second year where the movie takes place, because they respected me. They knew that I was good for my word. And they'd heard another coach talk badly about them to me and say, they'll never go into them anything you can't teach to win. There's no way they can win. They're losers. That's all they've ever been. That's all they'll ever be. So our first two games in 1999 where the movie takes place are 15 to 1 and 15 to 0, and we don't have 15. And I've got to come up with something on the fly. I'm like, man, that guy just destroyed in two minutes what it took me a year and a half to build with these kids. This rapport we had going, and now it's destroyed. I stood at home plate. I said a small prayer. What can I do to help these kids? How can I get them to believe in themselves, each other, this team concept I'm pushing? How can I get them to see that I care about them? I want them to not only play baseball well, but do well in the classroom graduate from high school, go to college, and then see what's out there for themselves and decide for themselves what it is they want to do. So I just came up with this little deal. At the age of 15, my grandparents saved me. And from 15 to 18, I lived with them in a totally different state than my parents. And so I went down there, and I taught them everything my grandparents taught me. I started talking about hopes and dreams and second chances. I said, you guys, you've got to go out and live life. You can't let life live you. don't let somebody else dictate to you what you're going to do with yours. I want you guys to chase whatever dream it is you have in you. It may be baseball. It may not be baseball. It may be academics. It may not be academics. But give yourself the choice of going out there and doing what it is that you really have in your heart to do. About halfway through the speech, they started piping up. and They're like, hey, coach, that sounds awesome. What about your dreams? I said, my dream is to watch you guys do great in the classroom, great on the field, graduate from high school and go to college. They said, no, we think you still want to play baseball. And I said, I don't think so. Uh, by this time... I'm out of baseball for 11 years. I weigh 260 pounds. I look like a baseball scout, not a baseball player. I've had nine surgeries. All my kids, almost all my kids are Hispanic, so their moms cook every meal for us on the road. I have eaten nothing but Mexican food for three years. I am not in shape. I looked at my kids. I said, look, the doctor said I can't throw. Your moms keep feeding me. I said, I can't even run. And they said, but we think your heart's still in it. And I said, my heart is in it to see you guys do well. And that's when my catcher looked at me, and goes, well, if we, we do this, if we win for you, will you try out for us? And I thought he was joking. I'm, I'm 35 years old. You quit at 35. You don't start baseball at 35. And so all the other kids started piping up, and basically we came down to a bet. If the school won a district championship in baseball, which they'd never done in their lives, I had to go find a tryout. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is going to be a joke, it's going to be hysterical, you're fat, you're out of shape, you're old. And let's not forget the doctors said medically impossible, and they won. It was the best season I can ever remember being a part of because we won as a team. We started winning by a little bit, and then we started winning by a lot. The next thing I know, by the end of the year, the kids are playing for a district championship, and I cannot even get these high school kids out. In the back of my mind, I'm going, oh, you're going to go to a Trout and impress somebody. Yes, you are. We're down by three runs in the last inning at a district championship game. The kids score four runs. They win. Best side I've ever seen in my life. They're hugging each other. They're hugging their parents. They're hugging the trophy. And I'm leaned up basically against the backstop. I'm thinking two things. I am a pretty good coach. <laughs> and this is going to be more embarrassing than I ever thought possible because now I have to go throw in front of people who really know what they're doing. As we go back to the bus, I've got tears in my eyes watching these kids celebrate an accomplishment that not even they thought they could accomplish. And up on the top step of the bus because my second baseman who's a team clown. He sees tears in my eyes. He starts giggling. And so I did what any coach in that situation would do with a 17-year-old. I said, shut up. <laughs> and he started giggling at me. And then, he, from behind his back, he pulls out a baseball. It had Reagan County Owls, District 128 Champs, 1999. Everybody signed it. I cried harder. And then he hugged me, and he patted me on the shoulder. He goes, we did our part, not your turn. And that is when terror hit me. And I thought, I have got to go embarrass myself in front of professional people. And everybody got on the bus on that four-hour trip home going, we did our part, Coach, now it's your turn. Lo and behold, we get in the third round of the playoffs, lose the third game of a three-game series. Guys did really well, better than I ever could have expected. School's over. We lose in the playoffs. i got to find a tryout. I found one in my hometown of Brownwood at Howard Payne University, Tampa Bay Double Rays, June 19, 1999. I took my three kids who are eight, four, and the time. I show up with a group of 18, 24-year-olds who are smiling from ear to ear because they're chasing that childhood dream. I also look at the rest of them. They've got brand-new bodies, brand-new gear, and they look like they are in shape. And I look down at the gut hanging over the elastic band of my softball pants, which is not the picture painted in the movie. Thank you, Dennis. And I'm like, what have you done? Well, I've been teaching my kids about their great-grandparents their whole lives. And one of my grandfather's big things was if you ever make a promise, you live up to that promise, because that's how you're going to be remembered. And so as I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm saying, what have you done? My son goes, you made a promise. It's time to get out. So immediately I thought, uh, you'll walk home. And then I get my kids, and we go up to the sign-up table. Doug Gassaway is about 70. He just got for Tampa. Kid in front of me signs up. He's about 24. He walks off. And when you can call a kid who's 24 a kid, that means you're old. And so I walk up, and Gasway looks at me and goes, how many kids you bring to try out? And I looked down at my three, and I said, well, I brought three. He, says, <laughs> he goes, no, two try out. And I said, let me explain something. I made a promise to a group of kids who do not believe in adults that if they did something nobody thought they could do, I would try to do something I know I can't do. It's going to be embarrassing. It'll be humiliating. You'll get a great laugh out of it. But I made a promise, and I'm doing this. Either you're going to let me throw, or I've got to find someone else who will because I'm throwing when I get done, he looks at me with a serious face. He goes, Man, these guys are here for serious business. I'm going to let you throw, but you're going to throw last. They had to throw from the outfield. They had to, to hit. They had to be timed to 60 yard runs. Do you want to run? I said, I do not run. I'm 35 years old and fat. I don't run. I'll help you time them. <laughs> he didn't think that was funny. And so for four and a half hours, the kids and I had a picnic, played games, changed diapers. And after four and a half hours, after everybody else tried out, he calls me out to the mound. Hands me a baseball. He said, Jimmy, how many pitches do you need to warm up? And I said, I just want to pitch and go home, man. I just hope I don't embarrass myself too badly. Last at me, he walks back behind right the backstop, tells the catcher in front of me, the guy who just graduated from high school, the kid who turned 19 that day, he goes, start giving him signs. He gives me a sign for a fastball. I wind up. I throw it as hard as I possibly can. And, you know, at 35, you're like, that's a pretty good pitch right there. And then I look up over the catcher's head, his gas weight the scout, shaking his radar gun, and I'm like, I don't even throw hard enough to register. That is more embarrassing than I ever thought possible. There is not a hole big enough for me to crawl into. What am I going to do? When I finally get done, my one-year-old's crying. They've been in the sun all day. A 19-year-old kid catches me. He runs up to me. He goes, sir, which further hurt my feelings because I'm old. He tells me I did better than anybody there, and I said, son, that's because nobody here could throw. He goes, no, you had him talking back to I said, I'm sure I did. Thank you. And he wished me luck, and he runs off. And gasway just got meets me in my car as I'm putting the kids in the car to turn the air on. He goes, I remember you. 15 years ago at Ranger Junior College, you were a football star. Everybody everybody wanted to make a picture out of. It. I said, yes, sir. He goes, Jimmy, back then you were tall and thin. It's '87, '88, and I said, yep. He goes, well, son, I don't know what you've done in your time off aside from eat, but the first pitch you threw without warming up was 94. Everything after that went up to 98. And I was stunned. Those high school kids, I had not changed anything from throwing batting practice to those kids to tryout. Those kids were hitting 94 to 98 on a regular basis. And when I got to tryout, I think, there's no way, because I can even get these high school kids out now. And he tells me that, and I am just absolutely stunned. He goes, now you're old. And I said, well, thank you. He said, but you're left-handed, you throw 98, I got to call it in. Don't be surprised if you get a phone call. I get my kids in the car, and I think that's when it hit me. Those kids were right. What I thought was dead and gone when I tried to do it for myself came back when those kids, it was for them. And so now I look at it, and those kids, nobody played baseball after high school. But out of those 63 kids, I went from having barely varsity to a JV a varsity and two freshman teams the kids wanting to be athletic trainers, kids wanting to be scorekeepers, kids wanting to do the announcements. We had 63 kids in the program that last year there, and 60 of those kids got college degrees. And that is a huge plus. If I could take baseball and teach life through baseball of the ups and downs, the positives and negatives, and learn how to roll with it and make yourself better every single day, that was the message I wanted to put out there. Even to the fact now that I have a a foundation where we go into inner-city schools and rural schools and help kids redo their, their athletic fields so they can have a chance to participate in something that normally is not attractive enough to keep them there. I mean, if you give a kid secondhand stuff all the time, they're going to feel like secondhand people. But if you go in and you make some improvements and you show them that you care about them, anyway, those kids that I have on that team are part of my foundation now, even all these years later. And now what I get from them, they're like, Coach! We're the same age you were when you tried out, which means you're older. And I'm like, thank you. But just great kids. They were in my life at a time I needed to be in their life, and we made each other better because it wasn't a me thing. It wasn't a them thing. It was a us thing, and we're in this together. It's a teamwork deal, and we're going to push each other to make each other as good as we can. And so two days later, I go back to a tryout and rain so bad they had to hand me a brand-new baseball every pitch, falling up to my knee in mud, 98 every pitch, signed a contract, Two days later, I'm in Tampa again in shape to pitch. The most amazing time of my life I'll ever be a part of, and it's because of those kids.
1: Wow. What what was it like the first time you stepped onto a major league field after, you know, that being a dream for so long?
0: You know, that day was better than any day I could have ever expected. I couldn't have dreamt it any better. It doesn't matter what kind of wild fantasy you have. To get to live that is amazing. I'm in my home state of Texas. I haven't been there in three months. My high school kids are there my three kids are there. Johnny Oste, the opposing manager for the Rangers, and God bless his soul, man, he let 150 people in the game that day that had ties to me. He let them in for free because coaches that I'd coached against and made a promise about with my kids, he drove them, they drove them nine hours to come watch the coach who made a promise. And Johnny Oste put all of them in. And I walk out onto a field. I walk into a clubhouse where there's Wade Boggs who just got his 3,000th hit, you know, automatic Hall of Famer. Walks up, he hugs me, and they've heard about the crazy science teacher for three months now, and they're like, that is the best story I've ever heard of. In my mind, I'm like, I am still a coach and a fan. I'm like, you're Wade Boggs. And he laughs at me, and we have Fred McGriff, and we got Roberto Hernandez, we got Ozzy Ginn. I mean, just guys. Even Jose Canseco, you know, positives or negatives, you want to talk about that? All these great big personalities on one team, and to be a part of that, at the age that I was, I respected it a whole lot more than if it had just been handed to me at 19 or 20. I didn't take anything for granted. I took it all in. It was amazing. I'll never look back and think of it as anything but positive, because those guys are still, still got their numbers today. I still talk to them, and it's just... It's a camaraderie in athletics that is hard to build anywhere else, and it's just something I love to do. I've wanted to do it since I was five. I got the opportunity at 35, and I took it in, and all because of a group of high school kids who saw something in me I thought was dead and gone, and it's just, it's been an amazing ride, you know, and 17 years later, I speak for a career. I go into high schools, churches, I talk to a lot of businesses, and probably the biggest compliment i've ever gotten was from my mother and she goes who are you because i'm not a person who goes out and talks to people i'm introverted and i talk i don't i'm not a rah rah guy but that's what i've turned into and so it's just been an amazing transportation transformation and so i tell people now the dream you start chasing may not be the one you end up loving the most and i truly believe that to be and everybody's got to do over Everybody's got a second chance. Most of us have more than two chances. We just kind of count ourselves out sometimes. Because of those high school kids in West Texas, that is not a possibility for me. Whatever comes, I'm going to hit it head on, and we're going to go at it full bore.
1: So one of the things I know people always ask about a movie is is what was real, what was fake. I know one of the favorite my, my favorite things is, is uh, the, when you're throwing at the, uh, the malfunctioning or slightly malfunctioning, uh, this is your speed sign. Did that actually happen? Or have you heard of people trying to do that, uh, being inspired by the movie?
0: My first year home, after 99, I played softball with a bunch of uh, Department of Patrol Safety guys, cops, state troopers. And all these guys are my friends. We all harass each other incredibly, and they're like, dude, Every sign in the state is dinner because of you. <laughs> and, and then the other thing is, because of that one scene, my first spring training back, I've got all these scouts waiting on me. You know, all these younger guys—they got blondes, blue eyes, and everything waiting on them. I've got five hundred overweight scouts waiting on me. I walk out the door of the locker room, and they're like, "Do you know how many people think they can pitch now?" And it was—it's was just fun because of the realm it takes on you give everybody hope and you give everybody that dream and so hey it is possible don't ever count yourself out in anything and that's what it gave those people now was the sign there the sign was there as a science teacher was i smart enough to realize that it did that absolutely not <laughs> i took our screenwriter to do that and you get out threw a ball at it lit up and i'm like i teach science i am so dumb <laughs>
1: Now, outside of offering to try out for the majors, uh, you know, I, I like to. I coach kids too with, with sports. So, what do you feel is the best way for coaches to motivate kids or motivate players outside of you know maybe a, a, a dare of, of trying out for the majors?
0: I think there are a lot of things you do. I think mostly you just try to make them a little bit better each day so that they can see the progress themselves. And one of the things I always told my kids, I coach my kids, I told myself. We're never going to talk ugly about anybody on the field, not even ourselves. Nobody's trying to give up a home run. Nobody's trying to miss a ball that goes through their legs. Nobody's trying to miss a pop-up. We're all trying to get better. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all human. And that happens. If you're trying to get better, you're going to make mistakes. And my deal was just to pump the kids up and tell them how good they were. And sooner or later, everybody involved believes it. Because if you keep talking about what a good message we have and you keep showing them ways to improve – you will improve, and and they totally improved. You know, their biggest thing to me when I got home from that first season, were like, Coach, you did so good when you went back, but Brian McCray hit like 200 that year, and you gave up a two-run home run to him. <laughs> Man, even from my own team. But you build that camaraderie up to where you have the mutual respect where you just push each other, and you're, I don't want to say gentle because that doesn't sound like a good athletic word, you're not rude. You're not vindictive. You're not ugly. You don't try to put down. You're trying to build up. And so in a building process, you can go as high and as far as you want to.
1: Um, what was your reaction when you found out that, uh, that Disney was making a movie about your life? And, and then what, what happened when you saw it?
0: <laughs> I found out, when I got to AAA, they were already talking about doing movies. Not Disney, but everybody. And I was doing all these interviews. And this one guy who was my roommate the first time around in the minor league ball back in the early 80s, had actually quit baseball to be a model. He starts calling me in AAA. He goes, man, I work out with Michael Eisner, and we work out during lunch every day. We saw you on 2020, and we want to do a movie. And I'm like, yeah, okay, hung up. And he called back. He goes, no, really, you want to make a movie? I'm like, okay, whatever. Finally, the phone calls over the next two weeks kept going on so much that I told my agent, Steve, I said, dude, make the phone call stop. I said, I'm, I'm just seeing where this goes. I'm not talking about a movie, a book, or any of that stuff. I just want to play the game that I've wanted to play since I was five. I'm getting a chance to be a kid again. Let me be a kid, just for a little bit. And then I get called up in Texas for the last day of a homestand for Texas. And then Tampa, we go over to Anaheim and play. Bill Plasky writes an article for the L.A. Times, covers the whole Sunday page. They had to change my name in the hotel my second night in the big leagues because of that article we had 750 phone calls of people wanting to do movies and documentaries and books and all kinds of stuff so for the next four days we traveled around when i wasn't at the field my age and i went around hollywood meeting all these producers and actors and people wanted to be a part of the movie and finally i've heard so many stories about people well, we can do this and we can throw an affair in here and we can do this there and And we'll just do this and we'll make it really interesting for the fans. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. That's not it. And so we're walking across in Burbank, we're walking across Disney's grounds. And Steve looks at me and goes, dude, what do you want out of a movie? I said, I want a movie that depicts kids going after a dream they never thought they could get. And the other part of that story, I want a movie for adults that tells them basically the same thing. You can screw up. But if you turn it around and you go after your dream and you don't give up and you put everything you have into it so you don't wake up one day and go, what if I would have tried one more time? Then you'll never have to answer that question. You'll know. And I walk up into Eisner's office and I sit down across from Michael Eisner and he goes, now what we have in mind... It's a movie about kids who get the opportunity to do something they never thought they could do, and I'm like, oh my God, they've got microphones everywhere. I mean, almost verbatim what I had said, and I thought, this is it. I walk out of his office going, that's where the movie's going to be.
1: Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com, because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in third person. Additional thanks to Special Consultant and the Pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Young, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast?